It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. Hope you had an absolutely wonderful Labor Day holiday weekend. You know, I want to talk about, in the honor and spirit of Labor Day, benefits for employees. You may see something in the upcoming enrollment period for benefits where you work that you need to know about. And later, I'm going to tell you about one of the most important tips I have to keep your loved ones safe and to protect you in case of an emergency. So employers, starting about five years ago, realized that economic disruption in their employees' lives was devastating to employee productivity. Duh. If people have a big personal crisis or financial personal crisis, their work quality is going to deteriorate. Their attention to their job is going to decline. Their ability to show up may suffer. And one area that employers found they could make a difference was getting employees out of the clutches of payday lenders. So with just a small number of employers and then became very common over the last many years, a lot of employers offer services where employees at no cost can get an advance on their wages versus taking out a payday loan that would charge typically 400 to 900% interest the employer eliminates that financial pressure by doing an advance on wages. But just as payday loans put a Band-Aid on a wound, actually, payday loans make the wound worse, these employer advances didn't solve the problem of money management for so many employees. So now... Something that started probably two years ago and is now becoming a more common thing is employers offering to match a savings account for you. This is different than a 401k match, but to offer you a match on putting money aside in savings so that when an emergency comes, you have some funds to deal with it instead of being left to the mercy of something like the SCSI payday loans. As far as what percent of employers now are offering something like this, according to the Wall Street Journal, about one in four do this now, and it's available during open enrollment. Usually it's like an added feature onto the 401k plan. If your employer doesn't offer a 401k plan, they're probably not going to have something like this. But what's interesting is you got one in four doing this now, and apparently roughly another 20% of employers are looking at adding this as a feature. So if they're just looking at it right now, probably not for this fall's open enrollment. But it's the kind of thing you may not even realize is there, where you may be one of those individuals who's had trouble motivating yourself to save money and having an employer handle setting up the emergency savings account for you 
and in many cases offering some kind of incentive or match for you to do it is a wonderful thing because, again, it reduces the kind of stressors you feel in your life. One of the odd things is some employers offer really high rates of interest on the savings as their subsidy is a way to attract you into it, offering interest rates as high as 35% on the savings just to get you to contribute to a savings account, and that is the indirect subsidy they offer you where they don't say we're matching you dollar for dollar or anything like that. They do it through the interest rate they pay on the savings. So I love this. I love that more employers are doing it. It's one of those things that is classic in economics is that when we're offered an incentive, we're more likely to do something that comes back to our benefit, even though we know, okay, who doesn't know they should have a rainy day savings account? We all know that, but life gets in the way. Life interferes. But the economic incentive gets us to do something that we know we should do, but we just don't get around to it. All right, let's get to some questions. This is from Nick in Georgia. Apartment prices, why are they skyrocketing? I'm seeing one and two bedroom apartments that used to be seven to nine hundred dollars for one bedroom and a thousand to twelve hundred for two bedrooms go to fifteen hundred dollars for a one bedroom and two thousand for two. What's going on? Nick, this is something people are complaining about. You, you're in Georgia. This is something people are complaining about all over America. Um, this is tied back to the absolute shortage of housing units in the United States. We are short uh, 5 to 10 million housing units in the U.S. right now. This is a knock-on effect from the Great Recession, and so many builders who went bust during the Great Recession, and the industry has not been able to catch up. The, what's wild is for a while, apartment rents were going the other way. I mean, I was talking about for probably a two-year period uh, before the uh, pandemic about lower apartment rents that were appearing in so many cities because there had been so much apartment construction. But what's happening now is the overriding shortage of housing units, whether they're for sale or for rent, whether they're single family or they're multifamily developments, condos, apartments, whatever, they're just in great, great short supply. Now, Nick, this is no comfort to people paying these much higher rents right now, but the reality is the higher rents are what bring investors into the marketplace and lead to an increasing supply of housing in local markets around the country. And from Heather in Georgia, my husband and I have 10 rental houses near where we live and currently manage those ourselves. I'm 50 and my husband is 59. Our dream is to travel the country in our RV, but managing 10 rental units from afar would be stressful. We've heard horror stories on management companies making bogus charges for repairs. We really don't want to hire a property manager. We are considering selling a couple of the older homes, which may need costly repairs in the near future, in order to pay off the remaining mortgages and live mortgage-free. I did a quick calculation and it shows if we keep all our current mortgages, we will pay $315,000 in interest over the next 28 years. Would we be foolish to pay these mortgages off and lose the interest 
write off on our taxes. By the way, we would only need to sell two properties to be debt-free, leaving us with eight. Heather, uh, this is a case where you don't let the tail wag the dog of the tax man. I would sell the two properties, know you're completely mortgage debt-free. You sell two properties that uh, you are expecting are going to need more maintenance over time. You own those other eight free and clear. Don't worry about the tax angle that you'd be giving up. You're still able to depreciate those eight properties, and that's a big advantage in doing your taxes. And you being debt-free is such a relief, and you'll still have eight properties that'll be income-producing properties, but because you'll own them all mortgage-free means that your net effective profit per month, not what's taxable, but that is cash flow to you every month, will be phenomenal. So go for it, and you enjoy your life on the road. On the issue of property management companies, not all of them stink. (laughs) It's possible to find one that is decent. Also, if you know someone who you really trust, you could pay an individual Rather than dealing with a third-party company, you could pay an individual a decent amount to manage the properties for you, collect the rents, do the repairs, and things like that. If there is that individual who you find is very industrious and very trustworthy. And this is from Nate in Wisconsin. We dropped our daughter off at college yesterday. Curious of your thoughts on what money transfer app would be best for her and her roommates to use. So for sharing expenses with each other. A college student usually is not going to have big money in their account. So using um, Venmo or Cash App would be probably the best thing to do. You know, the scale of risk for a college student who's not going to have a lot of money in their account is so low versus someone who has big monthly obligations that they're paying out of a checking account that even though there's no consumer protections with Venmo or Cash App, I think either would be just fine for your daughter and uh, her roommates to be able to move money around. David in Washington, my son went off to college leaving his car at home. I'm not inclined to sell the car because he may change his mind about needing it or need it next summer. I don't want the hassle of renting out through Turo. I'm thinking of lending it to a relative that needs a car. What steps should I take to ensure it doesn't end up being an expensive mistake? Well, David, (laughs) automatically, when you lend a vehicle to a friend or relative, it can blow up on you. So you're doing it out of love or obligation for that individual, knowing that They could wreck the car. They could cause a liability problem for you. They might not maintain it well. Uh, Any of a number of things could go wrong. When you allow a friend or relative to drive that vehicle, you got to go in with your eyes wide open and know that there are risks involved. And so that is just a fact of a situation like that. So you have to decide is your desire to help this relative strong enough that you are willing to take on the risk that comes with it. And I hope your son loves college, David, and I hope Nate, your daughter, loves college as well. 
And I talked about emergency funds earlier. Next, I want to talk about some very important steps I want you to take in case of an emergency in your own life. My wedding anniversary is coming up, and it will be my 26th wedding anniversary. My wife, Lane, still hasn't figured it out. (laughs) She should have so dumped me so long ago, but hasn't yet. And in the realm of the unromantic, I use our anniversary each year is the time when I update all the information that Lane might need in the event that I die. Well, I'm going to die. In the event that I suddenly die, because we don't get to choose when that is, and there are accounts that she needs to be able to get into, you know, sign into, all that. She has no passwords for so many different things. One of the most important these days is she has to know how to get into my phone, which she does, so that in the event that I were to die and she needs to deal with accounts, that's really easy for her because the two-factor authentication will come straight to my phone. And we've done so many things like making sure she has credit in her own name, I have credit in my name, Um, we make each other authorized users on the other's cards, so that way we've each established really solid credit, although my wife has always been best in her class, and my credit score right now is a little higher than hers. How could that be? I haven't told her because then she'd be hyper-competitive and want to get that score up. But anyway, we both have, our scores are fine. But you need to think about stuff and talk about stuff as couples that people generally don't do. And it's because it's an uncomfortable topic to think about being deceased. I mean, who wants to talk about that, especially a spouse doesn't, if they love their spouse, they don't want to think about the spouse being gone. Um, this stuff becomes more complicated for people who live together but are not married. But the issues are the same, is that if your intention is for your assets, your accounts, to go to the benefit of the other within a relationship, you have to plan for that, especially When you're living with someone who you intend to be the one in the event of your untimely demise who gets whatever you have, you got to do a will. Each of you have got to do wills to see to it that you have left the other well provided for. When you're married, a will is important as well if you have assets. If you have kids, a will is essential even if you don't have assets. Because otherwise, who decides who gets stuff? Your state decides. You want your state deciding who raises your kids? You don't want that. That's why you do the will. But today, in a will, you have to include things like, if you travel a lot, who gets the points? Because airlines always say the points are theirs. They pretend they're yours, but they're theirs in the terms of service. But generally, airlines will honor what was put in a will. The other thing people do is airlines don't necessarily know when somebody's passed away. 
you make sure your spouse or significant other knows how to sign into your frequent flyer accounts and they can redeem the points as an alternative to dealing with the bureaucracy in an airline or a hotel program or something like that. You also should have some method of storing information that you trust, whether it's on a zip drive that your spouse or significant other knows where to access it, that you update, again, at least once a year with all your accounts, all your passwords, everything like that, or do it with one of these third-party data storage things. And there are many of those available that you can use for cloud storage of your information. A lot of people worry about criminals hacking into a cloud storage service, and that could happen. There's a very expensive service you can use, and I think it's about $75 a year, that I've had questions about before. People have asked me if you should use EverPlan that is like a, a whole process of storing things just for when you pass away that stores all your key information and tutors you on what things you should be keeping. But it's an expensive thing to use compared to doing cloud storage with Apple or Google or any of the third-party cloud storage services as a way to store information. One other thing is that at a set time each year, usually people will use something like when we switch from daylight to standard or standard to daylight or a birthday or whatever, you want to walk and talk a video that you store on your cell phone Typically with me and mine, it would be in the Google's cloud where you walk and talk all your possessions. Because if you ever had a catastrophic loss, that video, like there was a fire or something like that or a bad storm or whatever, think about these, what these people are suffering with in Louisiana. Many people having total losses of their homes. Having a video is core and key to dealing with the insurance company following a tragic loss of possessions or your home. And the video doesn't take that long. You're talking about 10 minutes or less once a year to update the walk and talk. Say, oh, yeah, I got that at Target, and it costs this much. And I got that at Sam's Club, and I got this at blah, 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 and this is what it costs, and it's a this, that, or the other. Having those possessions, an electronic record of them is great, particularly in the trauma you're feeling after you lose the possessions in your home. Krista, I remember in 2009 when your home was destroyed by a flood mm-hmm. that you're a strong, tough woman, and you met Thank your you. match. <laughs> you met your match in that flood. Yeah, I mean, it was a bureaucratic nightmare just trying to get you know, to rebuild the house and do everything. It's a lot. And uh, and that was horrific. I remember being at your home with you and your husband and tears rolling down your eyes as you're looking at what had happened to this life mm-hmm. you had. And it was it was hard to rebuild, but having good records, having the video of possessions, that's one of the steps to putting things back together. 
For sure. I mean, that was one of the best things that ever happened to me because I realized how little all those possessions really meant in the end, to be honest, and just what great friends we had. But yes, you definitely want to protect yourself and do this. Um, one other thing that that may seem unseemly talking about after the destruction of the hurricane as it moved up the heartland of the eastern part of the United States from New Orleans and Louisiana is that once again, I must emphasize the importance of flood insurance, even for people far, far away from the coast where a lot of people have suffered flooding. Tennessee had really bad flooding weeks ago. That flood insurance, if you're in a low-lying area, even if you're not in a designated flood zone, is really important for you to have. It is subsidized by your fellow taxpayers. It is a relatively cheap insurance. Most people misunderstand and think that your homeowner's insurance covers you from a flood. It does not. That's why the federal flood insurance program exists. Krista? Okay, this is from Matt in Wisconsin. My partner and I are looking to adopt a child. Estimated costs range from around $20,000 to $60,000. Do you have any advice on how to adopt a child in an economical way? We thought about adopting from the foster care system, but we just don't think we can handle the emotional ups and downs of that process. Any thoughts you have would be greatly appreciated. So Matt, let's talk about the foster care system. Um, it is it is a roller coaster. Uh, you could start as a foster parent and see if your opinions change about potentially adopting a foster child. But otherwise the lower cost adoptions are going to be from religious-based adoption agencies, almost always, that they are in a a different kind of mindset than traditional for-profit adoption agencies, and they will tend to be lower cost. You also may um, have an employer that offers an adoption benefit. It is a common employer benefit now, If a company offers health insurance that would cover the birth of a child to offer as an alternative assistance with an adoption, the IRS also, through the the IRS, you know, the tax return you do, there is an adoption tax credit. Credit is much more valuable than a deduction, and the tax credit is worth almost $15,000 to defray expenses. But I hope that your journey of adopting a child goes well and that you're able to provide a wonderful home for a child who needs one. This is from Melody in Kansas. What do you think about this high-interest savings account called Yada? Supposedly, you can be entered into drawings with prizes ranging from $0.10 to over a million dollars. Their interest rate is 0.2%. Is this account safe? Yes. uh, I'm fascinated by what Yada is doing. And it's the same reason I've been excited by state lotteries that uh, you save money and the other half gives you a chance at a lottery. Um, There are credit unions in a number of states that have lottery-based savings accounts. And I love this as a way to incentivize people to save money. In Yada's case, you earn not the highest savings rate out there. You're in point two, as Krista mentioned, but you are entered into a lottery and that's what attracts people to it. The money is FDIC insured. 
that you have in savings. From Kevin in Georgia, should you buy an extended warranty or an extended service contract on a new Toyota Camry? Not on your life. (laughs) (laughs) I am neutral on vehicle warranties, but a Toyota Camry has stood the test of time as an extremely reliable vehicle. Uh, You have a manufacturer's warranty from Toyota, if I remember right, for three years. And if during that time period, your Toyota Camry turns out to be a lemon instead of a very reliable vehicle, you usually can buy one from Toyota up to the point that the manufacturer's warranty is coming to an end. So you don't want to buy an extended warranty while the manufacturer's warranty is still in place, only as that window is closing. And remember this key rule, do not buy third-party extended service contracts or warranties on a vehicle you buy from the manufacturer itself that stands behind it through their extension of their warranty. And from Megan in Florida, I'm a 31-year-old female and I just sold my house. I'm not engaged or married, but I have a long-term boyfriend and one day we will move into that direction. I profited $82,000 and immediately paid off $9,000 in credit card debt. My 401k is maxed out to my employer contributions and my remaining paychecks are more than enough to live on. I would like to start my own business, which I am researching ideas for, but I would also like to put some of this money towards my future as more of a sure thing in case the business doesn't pan out. What suggestions do you have for me to secure my future? So Megan, what's funny about this question is There are people who are regular podcast listeners that have already answered the question in their head or or verbally (laughs) said it, that what you do first is you put $6,000 of the, uh, so you have $73,000 left, you put $6,000 immediately into a Roth IRA for $21, put another $6,000 after the first of the year for $22, That'll take twelve grand of it right out of the picture right away. Roth IRA is a fantastic account because you can put up to the six grand each year unless you're fifty and over, which you're not. You could put seven grand, and the money grows tax free and then is spent tax free in retirement. So, as an addition to you doing a fantastic thing, maxing out your four hundred one k, once you do a Roth. You could, with the remainder, so that's 12, 73, 61, so approximately 60,000 left at this point, if my quick math is right. You could take 30 grand of it and put it in Dullesville into a savings account earning basically nothing, which is money you can use as seed money to start your own business. The other half of it you could put into an index fund. An index fund would give you access to funds that would not have to wait till retirement like your 401k or your Roth, but it would be money that would be tax advantaged by being in an index fund. I love the Fidelity Zero funds that charge no commission and no ongoing expenses. So you could take that 30 grand and put Uh, put the money in some of the zeros, which an index fund, if you're not familiar, Megan, is when you own little teeny pieces of hundreds or thousands of companies 
And because of the fact that it just holds those stocks, the tax treatment each year is really favorable. And when you sell, the gains you have are taxed at a favorable, what's known as capital gains tax rate. So then you'd be really, really diversified with investment money that is for the long term, but not necessarily for retirement, money in your 401k for retirement, money in a Roth IRA for retirement, and then you have your savings account money for starting your own business. And I want to thank you for joining us. Please visit Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com for more money-saving advice you can trust.